Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Hey, welcome back to Alabama AgCast. This is Hunter McPrayer, Commodity Division Director here at the Alabama Farmers Federation. We're pleased to have Dr. Jeremy Pickens, the winner and recipient of the 2021 Written Hour Award from the Farmers Federation. Dr. Pickens is an Extension Assistant Professor working out of the Mobile Horticulture Research Station. Dr. Pickens, thanks for joining us in the studio today. Thank you, Hunter. I'm really happy to be here. Well, uh, as most of our listeners are probably saying, what is the Written Hour Award? And I think that perhaps whenever we called to tell you that you had won it, you probably wondered the same thing. <laughs> so uh, we started with the with the Farmers Federation a couple years ago. We really wanted to highlight people in extension and people in research that were doing good work for our farmers across the state. And this is not something that we, at the st- as the staff people here at the Farmers Federation, do. This is our members nominate people from across the state uh, for this, and they tell why it's so important, the work that you do. And you are the research winner this year, and so uh, we've had a good time talking a little bit about that. And uh, really, to to kind of define it, we award it to those who use creative and original research to address problems facing Alabama farmers. Yeah, you know, I do a lot of applied research, and, you know, um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, most of my research comes from, you know, growers' needs. So if I, I see a trend and things going on out in the field when I'm doing visits or, you know, maybe with phone calls or emails, uh, you see, you may see different trends of uh, problems. And uh, if there is one, then we try to answer uh, their questions or solve their problems through, through research. You know, whenever uh, you were actually nominated by the chairman of our Greenhouse Nursery and Sod Committee, but on behalf of the entire committee, and and as they were discussing and and talking about nominating you, the thing that kept coming up is that you're always accessible. It's one of those whenever they have an issue, you answer the phone, and you may not have the you may not have the uh, the answer to it right then, but you're pretty good at figuring out how to help them out and, and to do that. But Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, obviously, you work uh, down in or for Auburn, down in Mobile. But tell us a little bit about Jeremy Pickens and what kind of led you on the path that you're on today. Sure. Yeah, I uh, I started in horticulture when I was 16 years old. I got to work with for a um, older gentleman had kind of a hobby nursery down in uh, Mobile. He was a World War II veteran, and he just got me into horticulture. You know, uh, I fell in love with it then and decided that's what I want to do. I want to go to Auburn. Get a horticulture degree. I was going to come back home. Dad and I were going to start a nursery. So Dad started the nursery, but I never came home. And uh, I just kept working uh, at Auburn and continuing my education. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of great people along the way that helped me out and uh, kind of pointed me in the right directions. And uh, that got me where I am today. So you mentioned that uh, when you got to Auburn, you kind of knew that you wanted to be in horticulture. But knowing a little bit about you, you also did a couple other things while you were while you were there. Tell us a little bit about some of the other research that you did, uh, aquaculture and some of those. Things. Sure, yeah. You know, I was a uh, soft-funded research uh, associate for, for several years. And, you know, when you're soft-funded, that means you got to find the money uh, to pay for yourself. And so I got involved with uh, the fisheries department because uh, they had some funding and needed somebody to work on irrigation on the aquaponics project. Uh, and so um, I helped kind of get that going um, kind of at the start of it. And so uh, I really enjoyed working with fish. You know, it was really different going from, you know, nursery and landscape type work to working, uh, you know, in an aquaculture facility. But, uh, 
you know, I could find ways you could tie the two together, and it was a pretty unique experience. We raised uh, about 20,000 tilapia a year in a greenhouse, and uh, there was a pretty big learning curve, you know, coming from horticulture into aquaculture to, to do that. I can imagine that it's a lot different situation. If you miss a watering in a greenhouse, well, that's that's bad, but if you do something wrong in, in, with 20,000 tilapia in a, in a house, that's catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. Picking up dead fish is not fun. <laughs> no, can, no, it's I not can, fun at all. I can imagine that that's a pretty pretty rough job, actually. So, um, well, how did you end up down in Mobile or back home for you, really? Yeah. Well, you know, because um, I was a research assistant and uh, my wife, uh, she uh, just finished vet school and got a job down in Baldwin County. And, uh, you know, they had an extra desk at the station and my boss, Jeff Sibley at the time, was willing to let me do my uh, work there through the uh, uh, Horticulture uh, Research Center there in Mobile. And uh, and a few years passed and, uh, you know, a position came open for an extension specialist. And uh, that was the next move uh, for me to uh, get back in that line of work. Well, uh, you know, having been to the station many times, taking our greenhouse nursery sod group down there a couple times to see the research that you do, uh, y'all do a lot on a relatively small piece of land. If people are going up and down the interstate or if they're familiar with Tennessee Valley, that's acres and acres and acres of, of land that's out there. Y'all do a whole lot on, I think it's 18 acres right that's there right. in the heart of Mobile, right? Yeah, we're one of the smallest stations and, uh, you know, we're the only station that uh, serves the ornamental uh, horticulture industry. Mainly, we work with uh, container growers. That seems to be uh, the majority of growers there in Mobile and Baldwin County. And uh, it's nice, you know, uh, when you have different industries in different places, uh, you have kind of a hub there. And oftentimes, there's a research station associated with that. You know, if you think about Clanton with peaches, we have a station there. And then Mobile, uh, the big industry is nursery and greenhouse. And our station uh, helps satisfy their uh, research and extension needs. Well, I know a lot of uh, my producers, and, and I claim them as mine, but our, our greenhouse nursery producers across the state uh, lean on you heavy. Uh, but I also know that we have a lot of other types of producers. I also have the fruit and vegetable growers, as you very well know. They lean on you for greenhouse advice or starting starting transplants, or I think you've even helped get a few aqua uh, aquaculture, aquaponics systems up and off the ground across the state. And so uh, I, I know that you're pretty in high demand whenever people start trying to reach out to you. Oh, it's a lot of fun. You know, anytime you get to help some people and uh, if you don't know the answers, just, uh, there's always somebody out there that does and it's fun to uh, work with those guys and link them up with the people who do have the answers. Well, how about we take a break right here and we'll hear a word from our sponsors. We'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about more about working with some of our folks. Okay. It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit and while some don't get it, We do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. Hey, welcome back to Alabama AgCast. This is Hunter McBrayer, Commodity Division Director. We're joined in the studio with Jeremy Pickens, the winner of the 2021 Rittenauer Research Award. So, uh, Jeremy, we've, we've kind of talked about you a little bit and, and your background. Um, let's talk about working with growers. That's that's what, you know, I come from ex- an extension background. We've known each other for a pretty good long time now. Uh it takes a special person in a good way to to work for extension and to to serve people what what keeps you in the industry and, and helping our folks out yeah you know we have a lot of uh, great people in the industry and you can't 
help, but uh, want to help them, you know, especially like we were talking the other day, I had a guy uh, call me and, uh, you know, uh, you could just hear the anxiety in his voice about the problem he had. And it was a pretty serious problem and it, you just can't help but want to help somebody when they when they come to you with those situations, especially if you have uh, the resources or the means to do it. And uh, it's, uh, it's, very, it's very rewarding uh, to be able to do that. And uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. You know, you, you mentioned that you, you work very much with each individual grower across the state. Maybe not every single one of them, but, we've, you know, I think the last count I had, we had about 450 uh, greenhouse nursery producers across the state. And uh, it's, by the, in case anybody's wondering, it's about a $200 million industry, just as the industry is itself, before anything value-added or really uh, in, in not taking into account the, the economic impact. So it's a big industry here in the state, and, and a lot of it's down there. But you work individually. You help people solve problems that's taking place on their nursery, but how about the bigger picture? What are some of the bigger things that you focus on day in and day out that's research related? And then we'll kind of get down into some of those more individual problems. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, um, I kind of have a idea that, you know, protected culture of just about any specialty crop is the future, you know, with uh, resources getting limited, uh, you know, potential climate change issues, you know, we're getting a little warmer. Um, there's just a lot of ad advantages to protected culture. And there's all kinds of different ways to protect culture, whether it's high tunnels or greenhouses, coal frames, uh, you name sh shade houses, you know, and so uh, a lot of the work that I'm doing now, uh, you know, is kind of pieces to that puzzle. How do we make that work in Alabama? It's, it's protected culture is different depending on where you are in the world. You know, what works really well in um, Leamington, uh, Canada, a big greenhouse hub there, does not necessarily work great here in Alabama because we have different climates. So a lot of the stuff I do now are just kind of pieces to the puzzle, and hopefully one day, um, it'll all contribute to increase in protective culture in Alabama. Let's talk a little bit as we, uh, you know, kind of begin to think about some of that applied research that you're doing that, that's very specific to here in Alabama and, and what's taking place now. You know, our, our growers pointed out that you're very consistent in listening to their issues and trying to find a specific problem that not just one maybe ends up with it, one may report it to you, but there's growers across the state that are struggling with it. How do you how do you kind of rationalize and decide, you know, this this is really an issue that we need to look at that's hurting the industry and if we can find a solution or a way to mitigate some of those issues might help a lot of people out and save a lot of money is really what it comes down to. Yeah, you know, to uh, decide on what to work on, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, we have a lot of stuff have you seen going on in the station, some of it's preliminary work, and that may lead to, to some of the answers we need on a, on a real small scale, you know. Uh, but, you know, you kind of see start seeing trends of things when people um, repeatedly have the same questions. And, for example, this year we have, I've had uh, several calls from uh I'd say kind of beginner growers wanting to grow mums, you know, and uh, they may do 300 or 3,000, but it's, it's a pretty small amount compared to some of the larger growers. And uh, so now we're looking at ways, um, you know, that they could do that on a smaller scale at their farm uh, that, you know, they don't necessarily have the economy of scale that a larger grower would. Uh, so, for example, we're looking at different rates of control-release fertilizers uh, because they may not be able to afford an injector and a drip system and all that. So we're looking for easier ways for them to do that. But, you know, there's, there's so much potential for research to help uh, our growers in the state. It is kind of difficult to pick uh, which projects 
to work on. So you do you look for the ones that are going to have uh, the biggest impact. Uh, and sometimes there's opportunities uh, uh, there to uh, maybe, again, do some preliminary work on a study. It may be for one grower. For example, we're putting in a, uh, a study with palm trees next year. We only have really one palm tree grow in the state, but he's got an issue with, uh, you know, controlling weeds, especially grasses in his in his uh, palms. And so, uh, you know, we can find a way to inexpensively help him out, uh, you know, um, over the next couple of years with that with that type of research. So we look for opportunities and trends, and that's kind of what, what guides us uh, in the directions of our, uh, you know, different applied research projects. Another thing that, that our growers brought up, and, and I know that you currently have some research going on on farms, and, you know, how do you, uh, what do you see the value of having some on-farm research, showing the grower that's farmed, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, it doesn't, of course. Um, do you see value, in, and how do you kind of decide how you want to put stuff on a farm and, and why you would want to do that? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, sometimes, uh, you, again, it's just about opportunities, and if you see an opportunity, especially when a grower has a, a problem, he's more than willing a lot of times to uh, allow you to do that work. Now, he's got to make money at the same time, so that kind of can be limited in what you can do on the farm. But, uh, you know, we look for opportunities where, you know, again, let's say, talk about, you know, weed control uh, in Christmas tree farms, you know, so that's a big deal for those guys. Some of them are spraying uh, Roundup eight times a year, you know, which is a lot of time. It's very time consuming. They're doing this by hand, you know, got a little uh, sprayer on a small tractor and, and spraying by hand and it's just could take days and days and days. And so we're working uh, with them on a couple of farms looking at uh, demonstrating some pre-emergent products and we're hoping to get them down to three applications a year. And uh, that's a lot of time saved, especially if your your farm is not your main source of income. You're doing it on the side and on the weekends that frees up time. You could spend it with your family or uh, do other activities on the farm. Um, but, you know, on-farm research is a, a lot of times provides a great opportunity to not only get some information, but also demonstrate uh, the benefits of those that uh, uh, whatever suggestion you're making. Well, uh, as we get ready to wrap this thing up here, I guess, tell us a little bit, you know, uh, and you've expressed to me what it means, but tell us what it meant when Mr. Parnell called and told you that you were the recipient of this award that, and that you'd been nominated and voted on, really, by the growers across the state. Sure. Well, first I was kind of scared because <laughs> what, what did I do? No, but, uh, uh, I, I was really shocked. I, I uh, shocked and I felt honored all at the same time. And, you know, I, I, I didn't necessarily feel worthy of getting it, you know, but I was really excited to admit a, a lot to me, um, you know, that this was an award that growers nominated me for and it just kind of validated or validates, you know, what I do. And so it was it was very special, very special for me to get this award. Well, I can tell you on behalf of, of those growers and, and all the other ones that I know that you work with, um, you do good, meaningful, impactful work. And that was the whole purpose well, of you. us trying to come up with these awards and trying to recognize those that are out there uh, doing good work to help 
people in you know that are farmers or in rural Alabama. So thank you for all that you do for us. Well, thank you for for all you do for us, Hunter. Well, uh, for, for now, this is Hunter McBrayer for Alabama AgCast. We were joined by 2021 Written Hour Award recipient Dr. Jeremy Pickens. You can find Dr. Pickens' information in our show notes. Be sure to follow us on our, wherever you get your podcast, and we'll see you next time. And now, your weekly AgCast wrap-up. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Alabama AgCast. I'm Russ Durrance, Poultry Division Director at the Alabama Farmers Federation. I'd like to share some exciting news today about the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program and some recent changes that affect poultry producers all across our country. Earlier in the year, a program was announced to help poultry producers with revenue losses from market disruptions related to the coronavirus pandemic. After receiving applications from all over the country, the program was put on hold. Since then, the program has been amended and now includes much more eligibility for our poultry farmers. The CFAP2 program provides up to $1 billion for payments to contract producers of broilers, pullets, layers, and poultry eggs for revenue losses from January 1st, 2020 through December 27th, 2020. The update announced August 24th adds eligible breeding stock and eggs of all eligible poultry types produced under contract. This update means contract producers can now elect to use eligible revenue from the period of January 1, 2018 through December 27, 2018, instead of the date range in 2019, if it is more representative. Previously, payments for contract producers were to be based on eligible revenue only for the period of January 1, 2019 through December 27, 2019, and January 1, 2020 through December 27, 2020. This change is to provide much greater flexibility to the overall program. Once calculating the difference in revenue, it will then be multiplied by 80% to determine the final payment to the poultry producer. Additional flexibilities have been added to account for increases to operation size in 2020 and situations where a contract producer did not have a full period of revenue from January 1st to December 27th for either 2018 or 2019. Assistance is available to new producers who began their farming operation in 2020 It would not have income in 2018 or 2019. Newly eligible producers who need to submit a CFAP2 application or producers who want to modify an existing application can do so by contacting their local FSA office. Applications for this program close October the 12th. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.